This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. It's Friday afternoon. My co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, in the studio with me. How are you, George? I'm very good, but how are you? You um, sounded a little bit of nose blocked. Here. Under the weather a <laughs> little the bit. Um, but, um, but the weekend is coming. The weekend is coming. <laughs> and, Plenty of time to rest. Uh, it, it was a good week um, to recover. You know, uh, things were a little bit quiet after the Deepa Valley holidays. Uh, and I must wish our guests in the studio with uh, with us today. Happy Deepavali, mm-hmm. a belated wish. Um, and we have a full house today, George. Indeed. Prof. Nathan Vitalingam, consultant, occupational therapist and advisor to the Malaysian Healthy Aging Society. And J.S. Nika, managing partner of Nika and Associates, joining us for the show today. What an interesting lineup, Indeed. don't you think? Indeed, yeah. I think um, after this is the last week of October. Clearly, we had enough of a whole month of you know, issues with breast cancer and that sort of thing. We're taking a different angle in different aspects of medicine. A very well. interesting one. And uh, I think one that we probably have not spoken enough about, mm-hmm. but affects a lot of people. Now, if you're involved in an accident, um, you may suffer injuries that result in a disability. And this could affect your ability to work or carry out daily activities. But um, it shouldn't mean that you are left... Uh, without any hope or options, mm. you can get rehabilitated, you can recover, you can return to some form of function and maybe even employment again. Now, as part of this process, financial support is crucial. But, um, you know, uh, it's a really, I've been speaking to our guests about this as well to find out more. It sounds like um, it's a pretty complicated process. Uh, mm-hmm. And we just want to find out how does it work, you know. How do you make third-party insurance claims for compensation yeah. um, following uh, the accident that caused the injury? So that's exactly what we want to find out today. And we're hoping it can be a two-part part uh, show, you know, this week, perhaps we could talk about the processes involved, mm-hmm. the how to, and next week, we can dive a little deeper into some of the challenges that people do face mm-hmm. uh, when they are making these claims, uh, what's uh, holding up the process for mm-hmm. them, and uh, what uh, are some possible solutions to make this uh, easier and better for everyone and most importantly for the person involved yeah, in sure. the accident? I'm so sure many listeners out there in Klang Valley are really, really interested in this because it might be relevant in many aspects. It can involve in a road traffic accident, workplace accident. Or I'll tell you one thing about what uh, one accident that happened to me and then later on in the show. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the notorious accident that you were involved in, George. <laughs> But Always do, very accident prone. But do call us. Uh, I hope you'll stay free of accidents from now on, George. <laughs> uh, but for the rest of you, do call us with your questions um, regarding, you know, injuries like what we've been talking about. If you you want to know what the process is like, um, you can listen to our experts first, but also get your questions in. You can call us at zero three double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having and us. And it's so nice to see George after a long time. <laughs> Hi, George. Aging a lot. <laughs> so I think uh, we just want to set the stage and make sure we're talking about something uh, and narrow the scope of what we're talking about today. Uh, what kinds of injuries or disabilities uh, are we addressing today, uh, Prof? 
Okay, uh, thanks very much. I think, uh, could I just start off and say, th- uh, yesterday was the World Occupational Therapy Day. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that uh, we're doing this show today and, and the theme was opportunity and choice equals justice. Uh-huh. What, a, what a combination of, of these things. Now, when we talk about uh, disability here, uh, it's obviously looking at functional outcomes of somebody. Yes. I, you know, you and I have got different ways of lifestyle and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And when you have an injury, you automatically have an impairment. You know, and WHO looks at impairment. And there are three aspects. One is obviously impairment could be a loss of a limb mm-hmm. or it could be cognitive, could be uh, perceptual issues, could be uh, areas of physical as well as mental health area. Mm. So that's one. The, once you have a disability, your participation gets limited as well in activities that you do. You know, mm-hmm. And that limits oneself. And the third aspect of it is obviously participation in, in leisure. Mm. You know, many of us fail to realize that the disability leisure is just as important uh, a component. And these are the main three things. So you need to look at activity, your participation, and the impairment. So loss of limb and everything comes away. Now, uh, you are asking uh, regarding the disability. This could be a spinal cord injury, could be loss of a limb could be because of post-traumatic uh, disorder due to the injury that you had. Uh, could be al- also in relation to a, a long-standing uh, issue because of, uh, you know, if I've got a loss of limb, it's going to create issues in relation to income, in relation to my functional outcomes, in relation to my home environment, work environment. Everything comes in, into a, exactly what you said, a bigger picture, mm-hmm. more than anything else. So it's not just loss of a limb that I can lead on a normal life, and mm-hmm. that's the important aspects to look at. So when you have a, uh, a, what we're talking today is about third-party insurance claims and, and accidents, and it actually starts off with uh, coming to us much later. I mean, patient gets admitted in the hospital, we'll be looking at him, doing the, the baselines in relation to making sure that the uh, health aspects of the person and stabilizing the person. Then comes the second issue where uh, my good friend Nika takes over the legal aspects <laughs> of this. But I, I do want to ask Nika, uh, what kinds of accidents are we talking about that lead to these injuries where uh, claims of, for compensation can be made? Um, well, accidents come in many forms. Mm-hmm. It can be a road traffic accident. It can be a worksite incident. Mm-hmm. It can be even walking inside a building. Yes. And uh, a plate glass can fall on you resulting in injuries. So these sort of incidents giving rise to injuries uh, will be claimable against a tort visa. Mm-hmm. So if it's a road traffic accident, the tort visa will be the offending vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a worksite accident, then you look at um, the worksite mm-hmm. safety measures, whether there was negligence by the employer. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you talk of a building, then you'll see whether uh, there was negligence by the building owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, these would be the potential tort feasors that will be addressing claims by the injured victim. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, what you highlighted is a, a building, let's say, a premise mm-hmm. that hopefully will be insured. I mean, I can um, cite, cite some examples. For example, a friend of mine went to a spin class in the studio. The floor is wet after being cleaned and then she slipped and then subsequently injured her back. 
subsequently a you know a series of treatments and everything costs a lot of money when she tried to highlight this to the premise owner and the premise owners kind of like shrugged away and said well it was your own responsibility the signs were there but didn't mention anything about um, insurance or anything and she was left in a situation that didn't know what to do I'm sure many many listeners out there encounter things like that what is the legal obligation for the premise um, well it would be incumbent on building owners uh, to ensure the premises um, uh, the public liability policy will be uh, as an example of a policy that covers building owners now for the example that George just gave um, the the premise owner would obviously owe a duty of care when we talk of accidents uh, we are talking of negligence negligence requires the test of duty of care so when you have a guest over at your premise like for example me and prof being here when we enter your premise uh, there is a duty of care on your part to ensure that we are safe throughout mm-hmm. during our stay at the premise even even if we are intruders Ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, Even when you try to rob the place, then you still have some degree of, uh, of responsibility, responsibility yes. to make sure that we're safe. Yes, because the law says, uh, as occupiers, there's something called occupiers' liability, that the, the, the duty to ensure the safety continues. Of course, the fact that I've come to rob the place is a secondary part to the claim. Uh-huh. The fact that if there was, for example, a hole in the floor then sufficient notice ought to have been given. To the intruder? To, to, <laughs> to anyone? To anyone. So the fact that no notice was given and I happened to have broken in and I fall through a crack in the floor, mm-hmm. that would potentially put the building owner at, at risk for a claim. Oh. Okay. I just like to say right now, I don't think we have any holes in our, in our, <laughs> in our studio. Interesting you mentioned about the warning. Let's say we use the same example of my friend and then there's a warning saying the wet floors mm-hmm. and somehow she still slipped, right? Under that circumstance, is that duty of care sufficient enough? Okay, interesting, George, because Malaysia, like many other jurisdictions, we operate on a fault-based system. So... Um, where there are two parties and one is injured, my entitlement as the injured person to a claim will depend on my fault, culpability. So if I enter a premise and there's sufficient warning that the, wet, the floor is wet and I, I, I ignore those warnings and I continue to do something which will endanger me or can endanger me, mm. then the issue of culpability will arise in relation to how much can I claim. So if sufficient warning has been given mm-hmm. and the uh, what do you call the the invitee is informed please don't or be careful be careful but you still go on to do certain maneuvers which you know can expose you uh-huh. then obviously the building owner cannot be held totally, fully responsible yes yes so, All right. Can I, can I ask like uh, so sure. if, if looking at the accident point of view and uh-huh. motor vehicle accident mm-hmm. so there is such thing as a uh, no fault claim as well. Um, well, we don't operate in a no fault liability environment. Um, c- certain jurisdictions, I think New Zealand and certain parts of Australia operate, certain states, uh, they operate under no fault liability. That means it doesn't matter on the fault of the victim, the claim is payable. Mm. Uh, but um, the, the, what do you call the, the, uh, the 
the no-fault environment itself is under strain because a lot of claims will come in, whether it's fraudulent or otherwise, will pass through the door. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of strain on the system. So on the context, it's going to be very expensive. Yes. So the yeah. cost of insurance, all of us, we can buy insurance, but insurance has a cost with the cost of insuring the the incident. Yeah. So if the claim exposure is higher, the insurance, being a commercial entity, will push up the the, the your your the, your premium, mm-hmm. like how our car premiums. If the incidence of claims are high or the awards are high, eventually the insurers will not be able to sustain mm-hmm. with the current premiums. So premiums have to be uh, skewed towards managing the claims. Mm. And us as the uh, insurance payers, the purchasers of the policies, are, will be paying higher premiums. E- eventually. Yeah. Because uh, fortunately in Malaysia, we still operate under a tariff or control tariff environment where Bank Negara sort of regulates uh, what can be charged uh, for a, uh, a vehicle premium. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Eventually, if it's opened up, then we will be like in UK where the premium will depend on the insurer, their risk appetite. Right. And and in UK, uh, young drivers find it very difficult to get cover because the insurance is very expensive and sometimes more expensive than uh, you know a, a family car. Well, what's the burden uh, in our country right now when we are looking at claims uh, for for these kinds of uh, ex- accidents and injuries? Mm. Where where predominantly are they coming from? Motor vehicle insurance uh, accidents. Yeah, if if you talk of um, injury claims uh, that. Uh, that confront the legal system, mm-hmm. the bulk of it will be from accidents. Right. Okay. Um, Just elaborate a little bit on that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, We all know that the minimum one needs to have using the road will be a third-party insurance, yes. presumably. Yes. Right. So what happens if somebody is not really insured? Because there are many, many drivers out there probably are not insured. And what sort of risk it is to the driver and also the road users? Um, well, in Malaysia, uh, obviously the car owner is under duty to insure the vehicle and that is provided for in the Road Transport Act. Um, but of course, we have recalcitrants who do not insure the vehicle. Now, in such a situation, um, the injured victim has one of two options. One is to maintain a claim against the tortfeasor, which could be the car owner and the driver. Um, the other option, if he doesn't want to uh, worry about it being a paper judgment, it is to direct his claim to the Motor Insurance Bureau. It is um, mm. set up under the auspices of uh, the Ministry of Transport mm-hmm. um, and uh, it is managed under PIAM, mm-hmm. uh, the Prasatuan Insurance Arm Malaysia. Uh-huh. Uh, so vehicles which are uninsured, that means there's no insurance whatsoever, mm. Uh, they will meet out claims by injured victims. Right, okay. That's obviously for road traffic accidents. Earlier on, I cited that scenario when someone had a fall and then if, let's say, that building is or the premise is not insured at all, what happened under that circumstance? Um, you, you will still go after the premise owner, the, the business owner, for example. Uh, the premise owner may not be the business owner. So... If I enter like the BFM studio, mm-hmm. it can be in the Ken building, but the business owner is BFM. So mm-hmm. my, my uh, what you call suit would be against BFM. And, but if the incident occurs in the corridor, then I will have to decide whether I want to go after BFM and Ken or both. Mm-hmm. So, and 
the, the, the right of action is there. Now, the only issue is whether the party being sued has the financial capability to make the payment. All mm. right. So, um, we'll come back from the break to look at, I, I think... Uh, if the predominantly the burden is uh, motor vehicle accidents when it comes to injury claims, uh, let's hone in on that and look at what are the processes and okay. what are some of the issues uh, that claimants are facing. Why is it important for claimants to get this compensation? Right? And uh, Prof Nathan, I'm sure you can weigh in there in terms of their sure. recovery and their outcomes. But do call us if you have questions. 0377332900 WhatsApp 018789 We're speaking to Prof Nathan Vitalingam, consultant, occupational therapist, and JS Nika, managing partner of Nika and Associates, about medical disabilities and third-party insurance claims, right here on Health and Living BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee. We're speaking to Prof. Nathan Vitalingam, consultant, occupational therapist, and J.S. Nyker, managing partner of Nyker & Associates. And we're discussing medical disabilities and third-party insurance claims today. Now, a big bulk um, of the injury claims uh, that go through the legal system are related to motor vehicle accidents. And so if you are somebody who has been injured uh, in a traffic accident um, and there is another party at fault, you can basically file a third party uh, insurance uh, to, to, to get compensation from the other party who caused that accident. Um, let's look from the perspective of the um, injured individual uh, prof. And, uh, you know, obviously they need uh, medical treatment. Um, what does that look like? And, and looking beyond the immediate care as well, um, you talked about functional outcomes. You talked about activity, participation, um, you know, reducing impairment. What will that entail in terms of their care? See, thanks very much. This is what uh, I was saying about is that um, let's, I think it's easier to take a case scenario where you have got some of the TBI, traumatic brain injury, mm. because of a motor vehicle accident. And obviously the, the possibility, uh, I mean, he's stabilized and, uh, and he's being sent home. Now comes the issue of uh, he needs rehab, uh, which could be occupational therapy, physiotherapy or speech. Very often they have to go through that. And the processes involved is he has to get back to the hospital to have his speech or physiology. And that's where the financial implications come in. Because when you look at the motor vehicle accidents that we are talking about, majority of them come under the B40 category. Why mm. is that? That's because of work-related. You know, they're going on, and most of the cases that you see, I'm sure uh, Nicole like him, uh, agree with me, many of them are due to uh, motorbikes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because there's a mode of transportation for them to be fair to them. And then you, you, you get, uh, because of the injury, whether we look at um, in the assessment's point of view to see whether someone can get back to work. I mean, that's a end of the day, that's what most of them want, to mm. get back to an, a so-called an occupation of theirs. Now, if they can't get back to the occupation, then we look at whether he could be resettled to some other form of occupation and where he has to go through a rehab process. If he is a contributor to SOXO, that's another mm -hmm. thing that comes into being, uh, whether uh, so he has got some form of possibility of getting into SOXO to go through rehab process as well. Now, if I'm bedridden, that's where the whole 
crunch comes into being, mm-hmm. who's going to care for me in the long term? Mm-hmm. And and the financial implications of care comes into being. Do I need nursing care or do I just need basic care? Nursing care, obviously you need a nurse to come to dress me up and uh, look after my wound or whatever. But it's just a basic care because my functional outcomes, my ADL scores, activities of daily living, I can't manage on my own. Mm-hmm. But I need a carer to help me out. So... But the, the bulk of the things come sometimes is uh, when somebody has a mild cognitive impairment or moderate cognitive impairment. I mean, obviously, you use various form of assessment tools, and that gives you the indicator. Now, the argument goes very often, can this guy go get back to work mm. because of mild cognitive impairment, whether he's, he's able to make decisions for himself. And these are all as various assessments that we do. You've got standardized assessments that you do now. Next thing comes into being is how long is he going to have the, which very often in the report they ask us is, mm-hmm. how long is this guy going to have a mild cognitive impairment? What is his lifespan? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, normal lifespan is 72, 74, 76 these days for the militians. But because of his uh, trauma that he's had, he's bedridden, would he live as good as well? Now, this, this is where the duty of care comes into being, mm-hmm. quality of life, and you can actually prolong his quality of life with good uh, care, mm-hmm. you know. And then the issue comes now is the home that he's living, whether this home needs to be modified for accessibility of him. So the whole spectrum falls back into the claims. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Can yeah. the claims cover all this? Oh, yes. Um, the whole purpose of, uh, uh, of mounting a claim is to, to be to be paid damages that cover all these uh, incidentals. So current medical treatment, perhaps looking long-term nursing care as well. What about loss of income? It's covered. Sure. Um, you, But of course, the law requires you to prove that you were gainfully employed mm-hmm. before the uh, accident. Mm. But if you can prove that you are gainfully employed and that stemming from the injuries, you are unable to get back to gainful employment, Mm -hmm. then you can claim for future loss of earnings if you can't get back to work or for the period that you are disabled, for example, one year Mm post-trauma, you were not able to return to work. For that one year, you you will be allowed to claim for loss of actual earnings. Mm -hmm. So presumably, Prof, your job is to calculate that uh, requirement for the recovery and also worked out the compensation. I, I don't think it's calculation. We are sort of writing a report out to say, look at the level of injury is this. This is the likely of the long-term outcome. I mean, one of the biggest arguments very often is lifespan. Mm. They, you know, and that's where the argument comes, whether this guy is, because he's bedridden, you know, can he? Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously, there are scales. Brooks, mm-hmm. Brooks scales is one of the best to be used and gives you indicators of uh, the... Um, the lifespan of somebody using those sort of mm-hmm. scales. But the question comes is, can this guy get back to normal, so inverted commas, his way of life, than mm-hmm. what he used to do before, and whether he can be integrated back into the community. Right. And if you can't integrate them back into the community, that's where the issues come into the challenge in terms yeah. of financial implications. That must be a difficult assessment to it make. Is. There's so many variables involved. Mm-hmm. That's why you need an occupational therapist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because you're right, because there's so many areas. And so when NICA sends me and says, look, could you assess this patient for me? Mm -hmm. 
you have to look at the whole spectrum of, of, of the area, you know, and you're looking at uh, the person, you're looking at the family, you're looking mm-hmm. at the social aspects of the person, educational background has to be taken into yeah. account. You, you look at uh, the, the community aspect, the home environment. Uh, and that of, obviously include, let's say, especially B40, include their extended family, uh, who, if they are the breadwinners, then will be, you know, completely affected, right? Yeah. I mean, I was just telling Nike earlier that, you know, uh, I had a girl who was 19 years old who's completely a tetraplegic and all she wanted to is to get back to live with her grandparents mm. but here it, it, we were looking at whether this lady should, girl should go into a nursing home right. but nursing homes are not an answer because what she wants is the most important thing yes. am I right? Can yeah, I? That's, that's I think one of the issues that always confronts the courts um, because most in most claims you've only got one bite of the cherry mm. So what happens is uh, there is obviously an effort to maximize the the, the, the value of the claim. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's an uh, uh, injury resulting in the pa- patient being bedridden, now the, the, uh, the issue that arises, does, does he or she need institutionalized care mm-hmm. or home care? Mm-hmm. And more often, there is a push for institutionalized care because then the claim amount goes up. But that may not take into account what the patient wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there will always be competing. These interests is always competing. Right. Okay. Well, now I'm going to use my first example of you know a very accident-prone Dr. George here. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Nike, I'm going to ask you. I mean, five years ago, I was involved in road traffic accident. Um, I was on a motorbike, and then um, not not a big one. It's a tiny little scooter. But I hit a pothole, okay. you know, somewhere near Ampang. Mm-hmm. And the pothole, after I hit the pothole, the bike landed on me. I, to cut a long story short, I ended up in ICU. I ruptured my spleen, I torn my liver, and I was in kidney failure for a while. Oh right, okay. And under that circumstance, I obviously survived and then sitting here in front of you talking about this. If, let's say, I ended up with kidney failure long term, you know, and obviously I was off work for a while, this is a pothole in, I mean, KL is notorious for pothole. Mm. So who, who do, do you, you claim? Who do you claim from? <laughs> okay, um, for example, if if it was in Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. you would claim against DBKL. Right. Yeah. So they are in charge of maintaining the roads. So in the event there is a pothole and you hit into the pothole and you fall off the bike, then your cause of action is against them. Now, they, their defense will be, that 15 other motorcyclists passed the same pothole an hour ago mm-hmm. and no one fell. No one fell. And secondly, um, was the pothole deep enough to cause your motorcycle to wobble? Right. So these factors will come in to to offset your claim. Mm-hmm. But your cause of action is against DBKL. If it's in Ampang, then it's against the municipality of uh, Ampang municipality. Right. We, we hear that sometimes we have successes because recently in Klang, there was a, a man who actually managed to claim for municipal council, right? Okay. How successful it is. I mean, that clearly will be um, repercussions for, you know, councils to to make sure that there's no pothole to endanger the road users. How successful it is for road users to put forward such claim? I think it's gaining momentum and it is good because it will keep the municipalities on their toes. But obviously, the, it is not the municipality who's going to bear the cost of it because they are insured. Right. But the end result is I think they will buck up and they will ensure that the roads are safe enough for most mm-hmm. motorists. In fact, if you talk of Jalan Bangsa, if you travel along Jalan, Jalan Maruf, Maruf, just just before the Bangsa 
shopping complex, the road, the steep slope. Yeah. It is horrendous. Yes. And there's are, construction going on. Yeah. And also when it rains, then there are cracks everywhere and then there are potholes, and instant puddles. potholes. Yeah. Puddles. Yeah. And nothing is being done. Mm. So, so I, I hope DBKL is listening right that's now. That's right. Yes, we yeah. Because you want, you, know, to, you want yes, to avoid yeah. lawsuits. Yeah. Yes. Lawsuits on Dr. George if he falls into the pot. Because <laughs> drivers <laughs> listening to us right now that's are thinking, right. aha. I'm sure they'll call in and say that, you know, they say. So coming to, you know, Prof. Nathan, like, let's say, you know, clearly at that point, I was in ICU. Yeah. And the cost of ICU was tremendous. And I, I, I was insured on a personal um, accident and also medical cards. And, you know, um, I was very lucky. I didn't have to go through an operation. My kidney recovered. and But I could think of detrimental effect on my life as a doctor suddenly ended up with no spleen and then ended up off work for a long time. And most likely, if my kidney didn't recover, I will be ended up on dialysis. So under that circumstance, let's say I don't um, manage to claim from DBKL because mm-hmm. they claim that you know so many people use through the road. What happens to me if I had no such protection? That's that's a very good question, George. I mean, obviously, if you do not have any insurance coverage, I mean, one of the things is obviously you will go to um, Ministry of Family and Community Development to look at the feasibility of helping you out. Um, the other thing is. One of the things that we do is to find out whether you have got your social coverage, and because if you have been employed, even these days, you know, if you're self-employed, you can still contribute to SOXO, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a very good sort of scheme. But my biggest, it's interesting what George you just told me. My biggest worry is you've been stabilized, you've got your kidney sorted out, and everything. And let's say by by God's grace, it didn't happen to you. But you become need some form of care mm-hmm. and at home. Right now, you have got an insurance policy. Yes, does your insurance policy cover you for long-term care? Right, I'm not sure whether that you see, did. That or it this did. Is, yeah. what I'm trying to get at is a lot of insurance coverage to cover, don't cover you for long-term care. I don't need hospitalization. Need hospitalization, and that's where the problem because the, in the context of rehab, you know, it's a long-term you need. Yes. And you find that someone even with a with a fracture, able to go back home. The surgeon has done a good job. Get ready to go back home. But the rehab point of view, because the insurance doesn't cover for long term. Yeah, because I was oh. in pain for three months. I wasn't quite bedridden, but the thing is that I I knew that if I carry on uh, being uh, in pain and avoid work, I, I couldn't afford to carry on like that for three months. So. Practically, um, it, it was simply not an option. Then I basically went back to work Im- almost immediately. But if my injury had been a little bit more severe, that it will be impossible. And then that, that's, that's right. how I wonder, you know, what would happen because everything would crumble. Mm. Yeah. We also have a question from a listener. What, what if you're not working at the time, but are of an employable age and have the uh, capacity to work in the future, are they entitled compensation uh, for damages for future loss of earnings? Michael? Um, well, Melissa, unfortunately, the Civil Law Act doesn't allow for claims for loss of earnings unless you were gainfully employed. Mm-hmm. Those are the operative words in the statute. So unless you were gainfully employed, deriving an income, you will not be able to claim for loss of earnings. Mm. So that won't go into calculation of the, the quantum, of the, yeah. the damages. Yeah. What about um, emotional uh, pain and suffering? 
uh, that is factored in. If, for example, um, if I were to be uh, uh, involved in an accident and a loved one was severely injured or, mm-hmm. or mortally injured, um, if I were to uh, be uh, to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder rising from that incident, mm-hmm. that would be a limb of uh, claim which is permits- permissible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. On on that basis, Prof. Nathan, how do you assess? That sort of like a emotional uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, you know, uh, experience. Because for me, for three months, I don't. I, I was uh, traumatized, obviously, but I was more angry. I was more angry with the situation I was in, and that itself really impaired on my work capability for at least three months. And I was in pain every time I had pain. I will. I it reminded me how angry Thanks. I was with a pothole. So is that? Does that constitute a kind of post-traumatic stress? And how did you calculate? How do you calculate or I mean, assess that? One of the things in PTSD, obviously, if you identify that, I mean, I think it's important to realize that some of the things you got to interreferral, and I, this is where a psychiatrist come into being or a neuropsychologist to mm-hmm. assess you and take it from because you can't be doing that. And this is where one of the things. It comes into being because in in a in a, a, a third party insurance claim you can see a numerous number of reports. Mm-hmm. You get it from the, uh, say from the usually it starts off with an orthopod writing out a report and then comes into the rehab area. Then just because this patient has got some kidney issue, it'll come to you, George, mm-hmm. for a report in relation to his whether he needs that help. And then you find that this particular head injury patient has also got uh, neurological issues. And then it's being referred to a neurosurgeon. All so, these supporting specialists. Right. Isn't that making the process very cumbersome though? And expensive? Um, well, actually no, because we, we need to ascertain what are the residuals that the patient is enduring with. So if he is not referred to the various spe- specialists, we won't be able to assess mm. what are the functional or emotional residuals that he has to be laboring under. So mm. one yeah. of the things, George, is if I go to court, First thing, they, uh, they turn around now. Nike's going to turn around. Are you an expert in PTSD? Uh-huh. And then I have to say, look, it's run by the psychiatrist. Of course. Uh, then, you know, you're covered. So you need to know, and I think this is where the medical fraternity needs to know where their roles lie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go for another quick break and come back, continue this discussion. I'm curious to know how the, tip, the process uh, you know, after the claims have been filed, how does it typically play out and what are some snags in the system? Uh, we can start to go a little bit into that. But like I said, we are continuing this conversation next week to dive deeper into those um, barriers as well. But today we're speaking to Professor Nathan Vitilingam, consultant, occupational therapist, and JS Nyker, managing partner of Nyker & Associates about third-party insurance claims when it comes to um, injuries and disabilities as a result of accidents. Call us if you have questions, 0377332900, WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Ik and my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, who thankfully is with us today in one piece, um, in fine fighting form, despite the horrific accident he talked about earlier. And accidents is what we are discussing on the show today. Accidents that lead to injuries, um, possibly uh, resulting in disabilities, and how the injured parties can make third-party insurance claims to basically gain compensation, right? Dam- 
damages to cover for medical treatment, future care, as well as loss of income. Discussing that with us today, J.S. Nyker, Managing Partner of Nyker & Associates and Professor Nathan Vitilingam, Consultant, Occupational Therapist. Get your questions in. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or call us at 03 03- Double seven double three two nine hundred. Now, uh, Nika, what typically happens with claims like these? I mean, you've already started to talk about how um, the damages are calculated in a sense, what they are meant to cover. Um, but there is um, perhaps some distortion in the process where um, you, you know, parties may try to maximize the value of the damages they can get. Um, you know, how how often? Uh, do these claims get settled for the amount that they're asked for? When do they have to go to court? Uh, what are the snags in the process? Um, shall we? There's, there are many parts to your question. Um, let me just start off first with uh, how the claim is mounted. Um, what typically happens is when a person is injured and is in hospital, um, representatives of the, the law firm will approach the patient to to be engaged as the solicitor acting for the patient. Oh, so it doesn't come from the individual um, instituting or, or starting the process? Well, the, the, the injured victim, he's now in hospital. Uh, he will require, for example, uh, if he has suffered uh, uh, lower limb fractures, he will need plates, platings mm-hmm. and all that. That costs money. So this is where uh, solicitors representing them will assist the family mm-hmm. in purchasing those implants so that they can be operated on. So the sign-up is done at the hospitals and from there, uh, the patient will undergo the treatment and post-discharge, there will be referrals to specialists to ascertain what are the residuals. Mm -hmm. And it's around that point that the claim is then uh, brought to the insurer's attention. That means the insurer of the offending vehicle. um, the, there is a, a move to settle the matters at source at mm-hmm. that point. And if it cannot be settled out of court at that point, then the solicitor acting for the claimant will file an action. And that action is then defended by the insurer through their solicitors. So what might cause the uh, claim to not be settled out of court? At which point? Uh, uh, at, at source, like you said. Okay. Um, what, where the dispute usually lies would be what is the actual extent of the injury trauma. So that is always debatable and the subject of most contention. So um, this is where I think structural changes need to be made to the system Mm -hmm. because what happens now is that the claimants, uh, solicitors will refer the claimant to their specialists to come up with reports. Mm-hmm. If he had a kidney issue, they'll get a nephrologist to come up with a mm-hmm. report. Orthopedic, they'll get an orthopedic. If it's a brain injury, then they'll get the neurosurgeon to come up with a report. Now, all these reports will be done uh, perhaps several months after the trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a process of recuperation. And when the claim is brought to the insurer, the insurance uh, panel solicitors like myself, we will then refer it to our specialist to verify if the earlier specialist has been objective Mm -hmm. with the assessment. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, with progression of time, the patient may have improved. 
So what was presented at the time when he was examined by the orthopedic surgeon, where he may have had, for example, muscle wasting, or he may have had a, uh, what do you call, uh, um, a weakness, over time it may have improved. So now that may not be a factor for the claim, the weakness and the tightness. Mm. It will be based on what was his presentation at the time when he was examined by the insurance uh, specialist. So this is where I think the problem lies because we the gestation period between the two um, will cause problems because there'll be a conflict in views. Mm-hmm. So if we were to look at a, a structural change, we will have to move towards a single body. Like for example, the patients referred to Soxos assessors. Mm to assess the patient. Fully independent. Independent. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, to a body like Soxo. So then a full disability assessment is done. And like what Prof was saying, the patient needs to undergo the rehab pro- process. Mm-hmm. More often than not, patients post-trauma, they get discharged. They don't go through the pro- rehab process. They languish. While all this is going on, the patient needs treatment. Where does the money come from? Initially, it'll be uh, family-funded yeah. or... or um, the solicitors who who step in. Mm-hmm. What happens if there's no family fund resources to sustain that treatment? Under that circumstance, obviously, well, all these insurance are still arguing about you know whether to go to court and compensation. And one doctor after another. Yeah, and then the f- the treatment needs to carry on as soon as possible. Like for example, you mentioned the plating and that sort of thing. So what happened? Um, well, that, that, that is done at source, you know, like, the, for example, the plating, that is done at the time when he's hospitalised for mm-hmm. the injury. So after the acute phase, there'll be that rehabilitation and that itself also costs money and that itself is not acute anymore and obviously crucial for early recover, uh, recovery of this individual. But if the money is not there, then the treatment uh, recovery will be hampered. So what happened if there's no money? Well, th- that is where the gap in, in the system lies because between the time when he's discharged from hospital and the time the claim is um, adjudicated upon, he will have to manage on his own. Mm-hmm. And how long could this be? Um, well, it can take anywhere between uh, nine months to two years from mm-hmm. the time of accident. Mm. Um, the courts have been moving quite fast. Uh, in terms of setting timelines for mm-hmm. cases which are filed in court. Mm-hmm. They try to uh, wrap up the claim in nine months um, uh, unless it's complicated and mm-hmm. that involves several specialists. Is there a way which, that Prof Nathan can facilitate or fast-track this? Which is exactly what George was saying. I mean, obviously, rehab has to start off from day one, literally, of course. And, and just moves on. So if you wait for a period of nine months, nine or, months two or two years. years. Imagine, as what Nika says, can you imagine my muscle wasting that I'm going to have? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to have the aspect of my participation in activities limited. My aspect. So one of the things is whether it's possible, uh, you know, the gap that we are looking at, whether it's possible that I need some form of financial support while waiting why should I be waiting? Because if I wait, I'm going to get worse. And if I, if I got, I got worse, then my disability outcomes can be easily be noticed in court. Yes. And so it's actually doesn't gel the two parts of mm-hmm. it, you know. So maybe you may need to look at uh, these are things that 
we were brought out in the medical disability conference mm -hmm. that we need to look at some of these to bring it out to with a consensus statement mm -hmm. that we intend to pass it on to the uh, proper stakeholders. I mean, yeah. obviously, as for Nike, reform. Yeah, as, yeah. As, as Naika mentioned, one of the things is Bank Nagara, mm -hmm. you know, to come into being to look at this aspects of things. Mm. So I think, um, you know, we will spend next week's show looking at uh, what came out of the conference that you mentioned about medical disabilities that was organised by the Malaysian Healthy Aging Society, among others. And what are some of the solutions that uh, perhaps you would be able to propose? Um, just very quickly, um, another listener, um, somebody who's visually impaired, um, you know, if they fell into an uncovered manhole, are they entitled to claim? And I think this is similar to uh, the example that George gave, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's claimable. From the municipality. But it depends on whether there's a warning or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, there's an additional uh, compounding factor here, right? Yeah, the person is, is visually impaired. Yeah. Mm. So, so obviously the warning has to be not, not only uh, a, a, a visible warning, but mm. it should be a physical warning. Yes, correct. So a barrier. A barrier. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. these are things that I think the municipality okay. should yeah, step okay, up. Yeah. Mm. Like, I mean, I'm, I have no intention to claim. So, you know, it's okay. I quite like to know, is there a time lapse after the, um, injury. the injury? Mm -hmm. For example, you know, earlier on off air, we mentioned that whatever happened to me is actionable. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm very grateful that I fully recovered from the injury. However, if I choose to um, take action. Is there a time lapse from your injury time that it expires, that you're no longer an, entitled to payment? Yeah, um, that's covered under the Limitation Act in Malaysia. Um, if it's a claim arising from a tort, uh, you have six years to bring the claim. Um, that would be against uh, um, all individuals and entities other than the government. If you plan to bring an action against the government, it's limited to three years. So you have six years if it's non-government mm -hmm. and three years if it's against a government agency. So, for example, if you're knocked down by a police car, mm -hmm. your cause of action has to be brought within three years of the incident against mm -hmm. the government. Yeah. So would DBKL consider government or non-government? It's a statutory body. It's not covered. It's, it's not a government agency. All oh, right. So, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> George, with so the caveat, I'm not going to claim. I'm rubbing my hands. I'm not claiming, but, uh, you know, let me claim on a second. I said it's five years and a half, so it should be all right. I mean, we've already started to briefly look at um, where some of the, the barriers are. Um, and again, I'd like to repeat that. I think next week will give us plenty of opportunities to dive deeper into that and, you know, look at perhaps some case studies where um, some of these claims have been long drawn out. But, Nika, perhaps um, are there, and, and Prof, please weigh in as well, are there other countries where uh, these processes are perhaps more streamlined? Um, Prof, you want to yeah, go first? I, I think one of the things that I think in UK, you know, they have once, they, they, both parties agree to one specialist report, mm. you know, and that is something that is timely as well. I mean, we just heard, you know, you've got uh, five reports on one side and the five reports on another side. Uh, you know, and the paper patient is drawn up and down, number of years are drawn. But it's nice to have both parties agreeing to one expert opinions report and, and claim it off. Mm -hmm. I think mm. UK does that, am I right? Yeah, um, yeah. but in Malaysia, it'll be a bit difficult um, to have a, a, a uniform body unless it you know, is implemented by the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you are talking of the competing interest, I think there will be a glitch to it. In what sense? Um, between, for example, uh, the, pref- the preferred doctors that the claimant solicitors will choose mm. and the preferred experts that the insurers will choose, there will always be a gap between the two. Mm. Um, so to, if we were to follow the English model, then I think in Malaysia we need an uh, independent body, for example, SOXO, because they are in the business of assessing injured victims. So mm. if we have, if accident victims are sent through the SOXO uh, uh, rehab process, where they are, they are trained to be brought back to active uh, uh, community living, and then only after that process is the claim assessed. Mm. I think that would actually narrow down the disputes uh-huh. and we can have an objective view as to what really the patient requires long term. Like what Prof was saying earlier, if the patient is... Uh, suffered a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. and you need some modifications to the house. Mm-hmm. Now, it would be premature to do the modifications three months after the accident. Mm-hmm. But if the patient has gone through the complete process, program of rehab, and after six months or eight months of the pro- uh, rehab program, and he is already trained in ambulating around the house mm-hmm. and able to use the toilet and all that, then there's no need for it. So when the claims assess it is objective and not skewed to either side. Mm. Because end of the day, we are looking at the welfare of the patient. But who's paying for those services at that point? Uh, when the rehab t- services? For, for now, it is the claimant doing it. But moving forward, if uh, the stakeholders are in consensus, it can be done by a central body funded by the insurers. Mm. So that the, at the time when the claim is assessed, the patient has undergone the complete rehab program and we know this patient cannot work or his functional abilities are now down to 50% as opposed to trying to speculate how much would his uh, uh, functional abilities be reduced to. And that's what's happening now. Just very quickly, another question. Um, If there's a long time lapse between when I get my claim and when I need my rehab, am I entitled to more money if my uh, condition has worsened? Um, Well... As I mentioned earlier, you have only one bite of the cherry. Mm-hmm. So um, if you've already obtained your uh, uh, award, then uh, you are only bound by what you have obtained. Yes. And anything more, you will have to incur on your own. Mm, all right. So we'll continue this conversation next week, but um, and, and we'll look more into the disputes, right? What's happening to hold up the process there. Uh, but perhaps I can get a final takeaway from you, Prof, uh, in terms of what you would like people to keep in mind. Uh, this could really happen to us at any point. Uh, what What is your takeaway message for I people? Think, I think my takeaway message is early rehab. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing because... Your outcomes are going to be much better. Uh, so I would go for early rehab as to, to be the main thing that one needs to look at. All right. And George? My takeaway message is that if you think that I've finished with one example of my accident-prone life, <laughs> next week you have another accident-prone <laughs> life where I went to a concert and got injured in the eye. <laughs> so you definitely want to tune in for yes, that Yes, you one. want to tune in. Keep it, you know, yeah. uh, stay tuned for next week's uh, story. All right. My co-host, Dr. George Leaf, um, accident-prone. Um, Prof. Nathan Vitilingam, consultant, occupational therapist, NJS Nyker, managing partner of Nike. And associates. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, 
Download the BFM app.